I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk turned traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Welcome. You've got digital folklore. Hello, and welcome to this after-episode discussion around episode 8 of Digital Folklore Season 2. Title of that episode... The Death of Meaning. The Death of Meaning. For everybody that lost a little touch of reality, or a little their grasp on reality over the holiday season, welcome back. Happy 2024. Uh, with me today is Mason Amadeus and then Matthew Bliss. So, man, thank you, and hope everybody had a great holiday. Yeah, I hope you did too. It's been it's been wild. I know, like on hectic all three of our friends. This is Mason, by the way. Hello, and I'm Matt. Also busy over Christmas, but very happy to finally crack the next episode coming. This one that was just released was particularly epic. That one, it was fun, but also. Uh, Keen-eared listeners will remember we said we were taking a production break to get ahead, and stupid me forgot that I had to move in December. So it's kind of fortunate we took that break, but I used the entirety of it to move, like relocate my entire life yet again. So it, it was a wild time to, to move during like Christmas and, and the New Year's. Yeah, and there's no tiredness like the tiredness you get whenever you move. That's, that is no fun at all. I'm really being reminded by my body that I'm not 20 anymore. And anyone who's rebuilt their computer setup between houses, you always regret that every single time. Oh my gosh. And especially when you're dealing with audio and <clears throat> running um, somewhat convoluted routing stuff and then dealing with ground loops and uh, weird electromagnetic interference. Fortunately, I had a much better time at this place than the previous place. It went pretty smoothly. Last time I was tracking down a bunch of weird hum, uh, but that's a story for a different podcast about really boring audio stuff. <laughs> 
Or if, or if you move country and then you realize on your camera the frame rate needs to change because of the light flicker difference between oh, right. how things oscillate different in different countries. Yeah, that 50 hertz electricity they got over there. That's what it is. You weird people. Which actually something that's interesting from a sound design perspective, sometimes I'll put in 60 hertz hum or 120 hertz hum. Like in that last scene with Todd's office, it's mostly those lights humming, the fluorescent lights. That one was an ambience file, but I wonder what frequency they are, because if it was in a country that uses 60 hertz uh, AC as mains power, it would be a different audible frequency than a country that uses 50, but only slightly different. And so I wonder if the lights in Todd's office were European or North American, and now I'm going to have to go look at that file and find out. Yeah, we should check that. So what, Mason, pray tell, is this episode about? Uh, This is one of the ones that doesn't quite do what it says on the tin. I mean, a little bit. And that it's ostensibly supposed to be about absurdism and then what people are referring to as Gen Z humor. Although this morning I opened Reddit and saw something posted that said this is Gen Alpha humor. So now I have a new thing to contend with. Really, I feel like what we learn is that it's not all that different. We're always absurd. It's just that the kids are the frontier of this because they're the ones who have time to be doing it. And really, the episode talked a bit more about trust in platforms, the fracturing of micro communities that we are starting to see now, the the dissolution of the monoculture that we kind of had through the 80s and 90s into this hyper-fractured culture, um, which is actually something I want to spend more time on in a different episode. Even uh, just last night, I was watching an old Vsauce video about did people used to look older? One of the things that they talked about is like, yes, there are environmental factors, you know, things like smoking being more prevalent and whatnot, but also the way that fashion worked is a lot of times people at a certain point will just continue to wear something and stick with their style. And then as they age, it becomes associated with being old. And so we see them as kids wearing that and we say, oh, they were always old. But I think we're not going to see that anymore because of how our cultures have fractured into these microcultures. Fashion is moving in like a chain of Ouroboros trends where early adopters are the same as the latest adopters now because trends are moving so quickly. And even so, who do these trends apply to? Maybe like a thousand people instead of three million or whatever. Yeah. So I think what's interesting is that facet of what we touched on in this episode and where that could lead in future ones, because the uh, creation of these micro, micro, micro cultures and microcosms of folk groups is something that's going to have a profound impact on the way we experience life. And we're kind of on the beginning of it. In fairness, I think you've been building towards it for the previous episodes too, because the nature of the fracturing of communities is super important to realize for the idea that right-wing and left-wing people only hang out with each other. And so there are certain memes and certain behaviors that they share with each other that the other side isn't exposed to. And then you end up with those fractured groups doing their own thing, as opposed to the monoculture you talked about where they can kind of wave at each other across the fence and say, what are you guys up to? Oh, great. We don't like that, but we'd love to hear what you think about it. Right. Yeah. That doesn't exist anymore. But it, but it's interesting in that I don't know that our attitudes themselves have largely shifted. I think our sense for wanting to be a part of a community is still as strong as it used to be. And now the communities are so small that we're more hesitant to engage in moderate ways. Whereas we want to be like, no, I'm part of this community and part of this community. I will adhere to their things. I think I think people genuinely at their core are still very moderate, like in their true beliefs, but in their outward performative actions, I think especially where not there's a lot more um, hostility. And also there is like encouragement of people to engage with their worst instincts, their worst impulses, maybe more when you have those kind of hyperpolarized groups. And, and I don't think social media has helped that any, right? Because no. it's the continual circling in on whatever, whatever the algorithmic core of that thing is. So you're always kind of pushing 
further away from a centrist view and more into an algorithmic extreme, then the more closely you start to associate with that algorithmic extreme, the more distant and other you start to see somebody else who would be part of that other group, whatever that other group is. And then it becomes an, an enemy versus enemy type of thing. We're actually, we probably believe 95% of the same stuff and have the same values, but that 5% becomes a live and die proposition. And to be clear, like sometimes that 5% is very important and like, you know, like people who believe horrible things that shouldn't be tolerated. But I do think that we have come to a point where any individual person represents the worst ideals of whatever community they are a part of. So like if you're a part of a group, you are now a figurehead for all of the worst parts of that group, whatever that might be. So for example, let's just say jugglers. Like if I'm a juggler, you're like, oh, sure. you're like those prank jugglers, right? You show up at people's houses and juggle their china in front of them and smash it or something. If that was the world we lived in, I, we shouldn't have picked jugglers. That was a bad example. I just don't know how to like not stir the pot. We're like on a dangerous edge. Yeah. Well, I mean, maybe it's not jugglers, but let's, let's rein that in one step and just say magicians. Right. There are magicians that are great people. And then there's the magician that basically assaults everybody around them with whatever the latest card trick that they learned is whether those people around them or not want to see it. Right. And like, if you tell someone you're a magician, other people like step back from the circle because they don't want that to happen. Yeah. I think that that idea of broadcast filters through all of that too, because that's something that's been discussed throughout the series as well, that people feel like to be genuine, you have to tell everything about what you're doing. And most people would then presume that they're being broadcast when they're a part of a thing like that, like you see magicians pulling out people's wallets and stealing thousands of dollars and then giving it back to them. You don't want to be part of those. You're happy to watch them because of the the schadenfreude of, of that whole thing. But yeah, it's all. And so I think that kind of effect is becoming more prominent as we see the fracturization of community down to smaller and smaller and smaller groups where we want to feel like we belong. And so we signal all the ways in which we do belong. And then everyone assumes that whatever they dislike about your group is true about you too. To the nth degree, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. But bringing this back, I mean, you mentioned earlier that that you think that this episode didn't do what was on the 10. But I, I think if we're talking about absurdism, isn't kind of breaking away from the stated thing <laughs> and then replacing it with a slight bait and switch a little bit absurdist? I, I guess. I Yeah, I, it does kind of fit. And we did talk about humor and we talked about absurdism and like Ian, Ian brought a lot of insight into like what we can get from the value of studying humor and the unplugged version of Ian Brody's interview, I think will be very interesting for our listeners to hear because Ian, there's so much more he talked about, but with the format of the episode, turning it into a monologue was interesting. So there's going to be a lot of valuable context and sort of more information in that unplugged. I think folks are going to really like. I was wondering with that unplugged because Ian is very colorful. Yeah. And not only in his language, but his topics. And I was wondering, even though we, we typically have a clean show, if I might just want to drop that episode, we'll still bleep some stuff out. But from a topic perspective, just mark the episode as explicit because I think he hit on some important topics that are hard to skirt around, but people need a little bit of a warning if they're not ready to, to get there. And I, I feel bad only giving that to Patreon members. Yeah, like talking about people hiding behind uh, jokes as a way to couch problematic ideas and exactly. spread all sorts of other... There's a lot in there that was really good and really heavy. Yeah, I think I think that's a good idea. Yeah, so we made that may be our first marked explicit episode. Ian, thank you for, for uh, 
the the mental challenge you've given us and how to treat the weighty topics that you presented in a fun way. And I think I think the thing that's the most tricky about that that type of thing is that we just really have to trust people to give us uh, to assume good intentions on on our behalf. You know, talking about things that are tough and tricky uh, as three white AMAB people, we have to hope that people will give us the assumption that we're doing the best we can. That's the thing that makes me the most nervous. I think anything not safe for work is always hard to deal with because you know that there are topics that are clean to discuss, but may contain language that is hard hitting. But finding an avenue is is ideal to talk about it the same way that the Egyptians pulled brains out of their mummified corpses through the nose with a hook. Probably verboten at the time, but these days we can talk about it archaeologically. And folklore is the same, I think. I love the the metaphor you reached for there, Matt. That was very colorful. <laughs> yeah, I would have never come up with that on my own. I don't want to, I don't want to say where I pulled that from because it may spoil something that I recommended to you. So <laughs> I thought you were talking about another part of your body that you may have pulled that from. Oh no. <laughs> I find that when I get really smart, my brain swells so much, I just have to I get my Egyptian hook and I just like scrape something out of there. You got to you got to got to pull a little bit of that brain power out share yeah. it with the world. I usually just sneeze into my elbow. What's the next thing in our structure, Doc? <laughs> next thing in our structure, <laughs> Doc. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about sound design? I'm not sure. Well, what about the, what about the end bit, though? There was some, some cool stuff going on. Um, you got oh, to reuse yeah. some sound design because you had clips from a previous episode with Todd's uh, menacing stuff creeping into the audio. So you got to reuse that. There I got is. to do a, tr- a trick I really like of making someone sound like they're on a bad PA. I always love doing that. I don't know why. It's not hard. <laughs> that always sounds great because you did that with Christina Downs too. Yeah, it's just fun because it's like EQing something badly on purpose. You Like just a lot of muddy mids and like some pretty bad room sound. And it just, I, it, I, it really sells it in a way that I really enjoy. And I think it's partly because of my background in like radio and doing events in bars through like a bad PA system. There's something nostalgic about that kind of sound to me. So that's always a fun little thing. Yeah. I was almost sad when you, when you brought back his clean audio. I was like, I could, I could actually listen to that for 20 minutes. It's so funny you say that. I had initially left the effect at 10% wet through the entire thing. And then I was like, no, people get annoyed. And I just pulled it down. There was a few moments while I was listening to it where I felt that sometimes when you pulled away from the immersion in the shop to the clean experience, that maybe it was jarring is too strong a word. Mm, I know what you mean, though. Like I heard it. Yeah. And I was kind of like on the second half of Ian Brody's chat, I was thinking to myself, wait, he doesn't sound like he's on a PA anymore. And then it came back in and I was like, okay, that's, that's what we're doing here. But I think it was right. But I know what you mean. Some people probably legitimately would get distracted with the special effect just going for as long as, as it was. But that is the uh, the interesting thing is like, how do you remind people the setting that they're in after that much time has passed? That And that's like a balance. I've been trying to figure out how to walk the entire show, right? Because like initially something I was very concerned with was people just wanted more interview and less production. So in like I've been trying to balance like, okay, so once we get into the interview, it's going to sound like a normal podcast. And then somehow we've got to make the transition from normal podcast back into audio fiction. And a device I've used a lot is just sort of the like, when we let into Josh, the swoop, everything's like going echoey and then it fades down into a podcast. Yeah. Or like an effect goes down and then it slowly builds back up to sort of subconsciously pull you back into the space. But it doesn't always work. And it's sometimes not clear why, because sometimes that exact thing has worked. But I 
fudged with this one so much. And I completely agree, Matt, that it was like almost still a little bit jarring. And, and I'm not sure why. I couldn't figure it out. I didn't think it was jarring. I just like the some of the ambiance because of the other format changes we had to do where we pulled out our questions to Ian may yeah. be that that may be why to Matthew it felt jarring is because we turned a dialogue or I guess a trialogue into a monologue and we needed something to kind of ground us. Yeah, but yeah, the thing that Matthew may have been missing was that that thing that would ground it, which is the environment that was there. It's funny. I did this as I was editing this time. I really just fully hit me. It's only 12 minutes of sound designed audio. The, the entire episode is like almost an hour. There's only 12 minutes of narrative. Right. In in a 50 minute to an hour episode. And like on average, most of these, I think like the even Defying Convention, that's only like 15 minutes of designed audio. Yeah, which is really funny because some of the early comments with people that didn't like the show said that there was like a ton of production and us trying to be funny and then like 10 minutes of content. And it's like totally it's it's actually the inverse of that. Yeah, it's wicked the inverse of that. But the the, the design stuff stands out. Right. And it's more it does. It's more memorable as an event because it's not just information that you remember, which is like when you're listening to a voice, you're not paying attention to the production, you're paying attention to the information. And so the production will stand out. I was like, yeah, there was a lot of that, wasn't there? And then the three or four things I remember learning from the other part. But then there must have been mostly the production. And you know what? That's true, because out of this episode, we had some great interviews with Josh and Ian. But the thing that immediately comes to mind whenever I think of this episode is the ending bit with Todd. Yeah. So good. Love that. Yeah. I mean, I'm glad you guys liked that. Josh and Ian had a ton of great content. But for me, whenever I think about this episode, it is it is the reveal with Todd. Yeah, I'm glad that you liked that that ending with Todd. I spent too much time on it. There's a lot of layers that are happening, like orchestral stuff and like some weird mechanized animal screams I found that some artists had made in the in the libraries that I use. That might be what contributes to it, because I have an affinity to watch people play horror games. There are a lot of particular games that people play. And if there's like mechanized things and orchestral things going on in the background, that might explain why I got tinglies when I heard it. Yeah, I'm glad because that that was like, that's what you hope for, right? When you're trying to make something that's scary is that someone actually is uh, goosebumps and tingly and hair on the back of the neck. Oh, I loved it. The other big thing is that this is the payoff. Perry and Mason in the narrative have been stumbling through kind of talking past each other and Digby for the entire season. And now we've been told, Todd knows. He's onto us. Them. You. Yeah, the big bad kind of came out at the end here. Yeah. Yeah. And I just like, I visualized like the facial changes and the environment kind of like fading to black and disappearing and like all of that. That that was like, that just happened. I can't even tell you which bits explain that. I'm so glad you say that though, because that is how I picture like everything is like everything is whipped apart and like we're going into this weird liminal space. It was cool to try and evoke that. But I think the thing that I was happiest about is actually not even in that end. It's the moment when the door shuts and weirdly all of the sound of the store is just gone. Like he shuts the door and it's just those lights. And there's just a second where it's like, that was a weird transition. And it was intentional to make it seem sort of supernatural when he closes the door. Um, and I really liked it, but I don't know if it just I reads as like it. an awkward sound design transition, but I, I thought that was neat. No, was, I think it sounded perfect. And somehow you even made it work because in the script and when we were doing the recording, you had me like trying to be the most cheesy, like, we have to talk, Todd. Yeah. <laughs> like. 
overly dramatic video game. Solid Snake. Yeah. But but uh, I think it came off well in, in the, you know, the vision that you had in your head as you were as you were doing it didn't leave me hanging. Yeah, it made it made you sound tense. And also, like, I, I wanted to play with the expectation of like, OK, Perry's being like weirdly intense and maybe Todd's just normal. But then things are getting sort of even more uncomfortable. And Perry's you're really bringing this tension the whole time. And then it's justified. And then it ends badly. Like, I, I think that's cool. I, I was I was happy with that sequence. Rich Daigle, as he always does, just knocked it out of the freaking part, too. Yeah, Rich is Rich is so great. I love that Rich He gave us a separate track as just a laugh. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I was I felt bad when it was like in the script, it's just like Todd begins chuckling and continues chuckling throughout the scene, slowly growing in intensity until his line. And I was like, Oh man, if I got that note, I was I would be so confused as to how long to laugh. And somehow he gave us exactly the right. I didn't reuse a single bit of his laughing. That's just the track. It was, he nailed it. Yeah, he always does. I like to imagine Rich in his office getting all these car commercials and like other stuff that you get when you're a voiceover artist. Maybe you get an exciting video game promo that you get to do some lines for, but most of the time you're just cutting commercials for razors and cars and things. And then Perry's like, hey, Rich, want to be an evil bad guy villain? And like, I hope Rich has as much fun as I know, as I feel like I would if I got the kind of weird stuff we're doing. He he says he does. And, um, you know, for anybody that that does not work in this space of trying to get character actors and all that in a asynchronous type of environment is is we just send Rich a script, give him some vague hand wavy directions, and then he does his magic and gets back to us. And nine and a half times out of 10, it's perfect because he knows exactly what we're going for and just knocks it out of the park. Oh, last note on sound design. There is one big Easter egg in this episode that I cannot wait for someone to find. And I don't know if anyone ever will, but when they do, I hope they post in our discord about it. And also I'm going to do like a little um, sound design breakdown video about part of uh, this episode. I'm going to stick that in our discord uh, for later, which you can join for free. There's a link in the, in the show notes. You should be there if you're not. And if you don't use discord, it's like really easy to get started. You just make an account. It's like a chat room. It's like AIM on steroids. I mean, that might be only a relevant way to think about it for a very specific group of people. But I don't it's, know. it's like an old BBS for, for those of you that used to do dial up. Yeah, it's, it's like a bulletin board system for, for geeks that like folklore and sound design and all things geekery, I guess. I don't know. I'm, I'm bad at pitching things. I know. My initial thought was like, okay, and now to pitch to Gen, Gen Alpha, it's like, it's like TikTok, but with words and it's slower and the only scrolling is in each channel. And it's not like TikTok at all. Yeah. It's like the comments section. I was going to pitch to boomers and say, it's like going to a careers fair where each channel is a stall <laughs> and you roll up where there's a bunch of people hanging out at each stall. You don't know what's going on, but you kind of just have to sit there and hear what's happening <laughs> for a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> the touchdown okay. for boomers being a career fair is the funniest thing I've heard in like a month. <laughs> oh, really man. Maybe we Do should we... get a sponsorship from Discord. I-, I like that as a sales pitch. Yeah, we should. I mean, it Untapped would be better market. to get a sponsorship from career fair event planners. Oh, yeah. What do boomers okay. like? Career fairs. <laughs> hey, listeners. If you're like me and enjoy escaping to a real movie theater, then Regal Unlimited just makes sense. It's the all-you-can-watch movie subscription pass that pays for itself in just two visits. You can see any standard 2D movie anytime with no blackout dates or restrictions. And your membership lets you get into premium format shows like IMAX and 4DX at a reduced cost. 
Plus, you'll save 10% on all non-alcoholic concessions. Regal Unlimited, it's the all-you-can-watch movie subscription pass that pays for itself in just two visits. So, if you're planning on seeing a couple movies this month, join Regal Unlimited. Now is the best time as summer's coming up. Sign up now in the Regal app or on the website at regmovies.com slash unlimited. And be sure to use the code FOLKLORE24 to get 10% off a three-month subscription. Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% back at hundreds of stores, and it's all happening this week, May 6th to May 13th. It's the perfect time to shop for everything on your list for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. I know I'm using this week to stock up on some warmer weather essentials at Ray-Ban and Ulta, and I love that Rakuten even helps me save on travel at sites like Hotels.com. Rakuten really is the best way to shop, and you can save even more by stacking cash back on top of deals. Plus, during Big Give Week, that cash back is bigger than ever. With Rakuten, membership is free, and when you sign up and shop today, you get an extra 10% cash back boost. That's an extra 10% cash back on top of the 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. So from the interview, so we talked a little bit about Ian's and I'm going to release the unplugged episode with Ian uh, a little bit faster than we usually do for I usually give a lot of space between the episode and when we release a full interview with somebody. But I think I'm going to tee Ian up fairly quickly because we did have to for the for the sake of the narrative, we pulled a lot of the discussion out and changed the flow of it. And I want to make sure that. uh, People that were intrigued by the things that Ian talked about get to hear a lot of that in context and get to hear some of the fuller story behind it. I think this is definitely a case where Ian's full interview is better than Ian's segment in the in the episode. And I think it's partly because when we interviewed Ian, we ended up like branching out really wide in a lot of different ways that I really wanted to keep in the episode, but just didn't make sense for the topics we were talking about. And Something I worry about is like, if we cover too many disparate things, you can only remember so much from listening to a single podcast. And like, I felt like um, the biggest takeaways that seemed important to me were about like the community aspects of it. And then like Josh's Josh's, um, side tangent about the internet regulations that are going to be on the table felt very important. And so focusing on those community aspects between both the interviews felt more important. So Ian's full interview has a much more wide ranging thing much more wide-ranging bevy of topics that get covered, and it's so good. Nice. Bevy. All right, so let's talk about some of the things that people have sent us after this episode. Oh, we got an email from a listener named Victoria that was really nice. Oh, yeah. Victoria wrote to us and said, thank you so much for the show. I've been listening since close to the beginning. It's so fun, so informative. I've casually studied folklore for years, and the way you bring digital contemporary folklore, the attention so often received for traditional folklore is so refreshing and exciting. Secondly, I have a weird request, which is my favorite sentence in the English language. Victoria said that she is working on a thesis for a master's degree in youth literature. And she, in, verbatim, she says, I've managed to con my department into approving a thesis specifically examining creepypasta and its draw as folklore and literature. Nice. So that is super cool for, for a master's thesis. Um, and uh, so Victoria was asking if we could provide more transcripts of the interviews, um, and Perry, you responded and sent those along. Yeah. We're running a little bit behind on transcripts, but that is something we are doing. And 
I thought this would be good to bring up to let more people know that transcripts are available on our website, digitalfolklore.fm. In the top bar, you go to resources and then there's episodes. Each episode has transcript links in it there. Maybe in between seasons, we might like revamp the website and, and move some things around. But at the moment, that's where you can find them. And if we do move things around, it'll only be easier to find them. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, for the sake of layout with the top bar, I ended up burying some things that should have been more evident, like where the episodes are and uh, where transcripts are. So we should definitely make things easier to get to. Um, and that was my bad for when I first designed the website. I don't think it was a bad. That, that's like a big thing to put together. And you solo tanked that one. I think the website looks great. I, I think it looks good. I think there's just some some areas that deserve some more attention and could make it more user-friendly. But yeah, that was, that was great. And um, yesterday on Twitter, somebody did the same thing. Um, some, we got mentioned organically in a discussion when somebody was talking about a, a digital trend. And somebody on Twitter or X, whatever we're calling it today, said, hey, I listen to Digital Folklore because they cover a lot of these things and gave us a great recommendation. And then I only wish that they had transcripts for all the episodes and I was able to go in and, and point them to the same thing. And uh, that post went semi, semi-viral as people were like not only liking the, the concept of the show, but then liking the fact that we were focusing on accessibility and providing transcripts and all that. No way. That makes me super happy. I have um, yeah. functionally left Twitter, so I have not been looking at that. I want to get back on to be like looking at the show account stuff, but I'm quitting almost all of my personal social media uh, this year. Yeah, I don't get on Twitter as much as I used to, but um, there's there's still a fairly well-thriving folklore community on Twitter. And so it, mm-hmm. it makes sense for us to kind of stay attached uh, for that community. There's a lot of other communities that are devolving or finding other platforms, and and uh, we'll see how that goes over the next year. And actually, that makes me want to ask something of our listeners. What platforms are you using? Are there ones that are outside of Twitter and Facebook uh, and, and like Tumblr? Like where? Because I'm trying to find new places on the Internet that I would rather be than sort of the pillar sites that are there. So I'm I'm curious if anyone has any cool new platforms that besides like Blue Sky and Threads also I don't I wouldn't count those. Where are you hanging out? 4chan. Yeah, unless it's 4chan, which I did log into for the first time because I realized I'd never casually gone there and it is it is heinous. Do not recommend. 0 out of 10. <laughs> but if you have other places that you like, you can email just email me mason at eighthlayermedia.com. I want to look at different online platforms. Uh, there's a big resurgence at Tumblr these days. There is, but it doesn't feel like the place for me yet. I want to find a new little digital home. There are, there are a couple other things we should read, though. One is another review that we got on Apple that I don't think we've read yet. It came in December 6th, so that was like right as we were in our production hiatus. And I think we did the uh, the recap of where we are now episode after that, but we didn't do any comments or anything at that point. And this person gave us a five-star review, so thank you for that. This is uh, Maxine D 93 Maxine says... I love educational cultural analysis podcasts and well-produced audio fiction, and digital folklore is the best of both, especially in the second season. The blend of informational interviews and overarching stories is, is exciting and engaging. We really need this information, too, on AI, conspiracy theories, and their impact on our society. A great way to discuss these topics with everyone from your kids to your crazy uncle but also enjoyable in its own right. And the title for that review was Best of Both Worlds. That's awesome. I yeah, love that. Love that. That is that is perfect. That's exactly what we're 
trying to be. And I love the fact that it's hitting the right way for some people. Yeah, that made me that makes me feel really fulfilled, you know, in in, in making this and 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 what we're doing. Like I, I love that. And that reminded me that we got it just this amazing email from a, a listener named Brady. I don't know if you saw it, Perry. It slipped in like right in the middle of things being really just busy for you and me. It was December 12th. And I don't think I can read Brady's whole email on the air just because of the length of it. But Brady, thank you so much. It's genuinely one of the nicest things that I've ever received. And I'll just read some highlights from it. Brady says, Mason and Perry, I've been meaning to write this since the end of season one. I guess I'm a bit behind, but that's okay because it only provided a greater certainty. I'm not someone who normally comments publicly. The number of online posts I've authored could probably be counted on one hand and maybe a hook. And then uh, Brady said he needed to make an exception for Digital Folklore because we are his favorite nonfiction podcast. No hands down, no questions asked. He said his kids constantly wanted to rate everything. What's my favorite movie? Favorite color? Favorite child? (laughs) Um, And and, and he says to try and create a favorite response requires a rating system. And it normally would be over analytical about it, but it's easy for him to say that he loves this show, that the narrative arc is interesting and fun. The unplugged episodes are great because there's all the extra information. He's been listening since you started uh, Eighth Layer Insights. Oh, wow. Um, Well, thank you. And he said, I was not sure if I would want to listen to a cybersecurity podcast. Well, I take cybersecurity seriously. I'm not a professional. I know the basics of how a router works, unlike my dad who called it his internet box, but I couldn't tell you what IPv6 is. Uh, you cover a technical topic in such an accessible fashion have truly mastered this skill. I've recommended you to several people who work in IT. Nice. Well, Brady, I will apologize. I was out in several different hectic modes in the middle of December as well. So We'll find that email um, and reply back to it as well. So hopefully you listen to these after the episode things too, because we're we're super appreciative of that. Yes, actually, at the very last line of Brady's email is, I know that in some of the after show episodes, you have quoted email or said you wanted to quote email, but didn't have permission. Personally, just knowing you've read this is all I need. However, I understand that reading comments listeners have sent in can be beneficial. So yeah, thank you, Brady. Also, thank you for including permission to read your email on the air right in it. That soothes my anxious brain. Yes, that is fantastic. Um, a couple other things. So I'm, I want to jump to Discord for a second and then go to Spotify. So Discord, after the last episode, after the episode we're talking about right now, we did get some people going, it had to be, you know, of course it was Todd. Yeah, I've actually got it here. Um, it was Dorian in the Discord in the chat channel. He said, more Todd slander? He's just a small business owner trying to make it in this corporate hellscape. Whomst among us hasn't created a pocket dimension for our friends to live out their nerdy dreams? I don't, I don't <laughs> think Todd wants us to live out our dreams, though. I think he wants to, to live out our nightmares. I don't know. I mean, looking at motivations, and as the person who is ostensibly writing this, I'm not going to go too far into that. But like, I can see where Dorian's getting that, right? Because ostensibly, we were in Todd's shop talking about all this stuff. And Todd is like, geez, this is just what you want to talk about, huh? And then... He did make our lives more interesting. He he did, but he doesn't, uh, I don't know, he doesn't sound like benevolent as he's cackling away. No, he doesn't. And also saying he's going to tie up some loose ends and evaporating the door is not exactly what a kind person would do. Yeah, And when he said he was spread too thin, I'm I'm interested to explore what that means. Does does that mean that he's got his fingers in a lot of different other areas of our reality or just our lives or what's what's going on there we'll have to find out i don't know i think it's all uh, it's all open for speculation i want to hit on one other thing in discord uh halloween eve uh said listening to yesterday's episode and the is gen z okay question was asked no no i am not 
I need a hug. So this this is a virtual hug to Eve. Yes, lots of virtual hugs came through Discord as well. Oh, and NCEC teacher um, chimed in right after that. Who uh, a shout out to NCEC teacher has been in our Discord since the beginning. Is always like super supportive and starting conversations, and uh, is is just one of our very first Patreon members as well. Yeah. Um, Thank you, NCEC teacher, for being super rad all the time Um, and responding with, I think every generation needs a hug. The world has never been more polarized in history, in my opinion. I feel that. I I would love to point out the irony in what you're exploring being the reason to avoid a lot of the things that you guys are getting to, and yet we're still finding delight in the things that we are being told is segregating our society. I think that last hug comment is is one of the reasons that we don't see often to keep social media and our little little folk groups in those areas. I think it's interesting. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think it's because we're searching for a community, right? And so the only place we can get it that's not owned by brands and is manipulating us now is like curated group chats, Discord communities, places that don't just have a native advertising built into them and algorithmically pushed things. If you're not subscribed yet, make sure you jump into that Discord. Yeah, it's a cool place. And yeah. they say yeah. it gets colder. You're bundled up now, wait till you get older. But the medium man begs to differ, judging by the hole in the satellite picture. The ice we skate is getting pretty thin. The water's getting warm, so you might as well swim. Sorry. What's on fire? How about yours? Hey now, I'm a copyright strike. Take your episode down. Don't get paid. <laughs> um, all right, there's two two other comments that I want to read real quick. These both come from Spotify. And uh, one is Corvids Are Us said basically a scream ah i knew it would be todd y'all are amazing (laughs) keep oh keeping on i think that that was a misprint keep on keeping on and smiley face emoji oh that's awesome that makes me super happy and then alfredo frog says uh curious about your thoughts on the ethics side of ai art and the cultural impact of it it makes me quite uneasy in terms of scraping, and I'd like to learn more and hear more different perspectives. We could spend a long discussion on that. And I think we should at some I point. I think we should, yeah. And I, I, there's definite concerns and there's definite things that have potentially been overblown in some, some circumstances, and we should try to thread that needle appropriately. Yeah, there's the, the thing is, it's there's so much nuance that is just not present in a lot of conversations about this, and I, I would love to really explore it. And also, I do. I want to make sure people know that our episode art is made using AI. Yeah, and it's just a little bonus fun thing that gets tacked on to the show. I, I bet some people don't even know that we have episode art because it just shows up on the website and in certain players that. Uh, allow it, but right. Perry, you have a lot of fun generating all of these really, really engaging images. Yeah, and it is. It's interesting to see how machines interpret human language, trying to drive at a concept. But there definitely were in the early days some unethical ways that content was scraped. But at the same time, if we think about the way that humans learn to to create art. It is through absorbing the environment and examples around them, and nobody is their own style until they create their own style. So I, I, it, the, the problem with the computer side of it is that it can happen to the nth degree, like at a scale that a human could never have. Yeah. And so I, I understand the concerns there. And it's also not the thing that's being sold. Like, it's just exactly. a fun little t- tacked on thing that 
would not like we could find an artist and pay them to do that like we did with uh, our cover art and all of the variations of our cover art and then like the the cool cartoon scenes all of that right. stuff is all done by human artists who were paid and compensated for their work but when it's just a two man team making like a dumb silly fun little image for each episode that's sort of an example of where it's like not the main thing but it's just a fun little extra and that is where it's interesting to talk about the ethics of AI cuz i it's it'd be very easy to be like oh if we we generated our show art with that and like we're profiting off the show, which we're currently not, but I mean, that's the goal eventually is to like have it at least sustain itself. Right. But um, if that was a main feature of it, it's like, well, why didn't you pay a person to do it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we could, this is a big, long conversation. We could get into a lot of nuance about. Okay. So we've recorded, I mean, I think we're past time. So Mason, yeah. as we get ready to, to end this, what should people look out for in the next episode? Or do you want to hold a bunch of stuff back and just let people find out like what weird place we're in. I'm going to say absolutely nothing useful because I do want it to be wholeheartedly a surprise, but I will share like one little thing and it's a, a detail that I hadn't originally planned. But as I was walking into my apartment today, a car drove by me and I looked at it and I was like, if Digby wanted a car, it would be that one. It's going to come up in that episode. I'm going to work it into a line about Dig so we'll find out what Digby's dream car is, and it's not what you expect. But if you're in the Discord, I want you to guess what car you think Digby would want to drive. And if someone gets it right, I will make you something and mail it to you. I don't know what it is, but I think it's very funny. It has brought me a lot of joy. I so thought you were going to say you saw a car go past and Andrew Peck was driving it. <laughs> I wish. Oh man, I would have flagged him down. I would have been Digby. I'd be like, "What are you doing, dude? I don't know where Andrew lives." I don't think it's Kentucky, though. No, I don't think it's Kentucky. All right. Thanks, everyone, for bearing with us as we try to get our bearings for 2024. Uh, we are looking forward to episodes 9 and 10 and everything in between. And we will see you on the next one. Not see you. We'll, we'll throw our voices at you on the next one. Yeah. Thanks, Perry. Thanks, Matt. This was fun. It's great to be here again. We'll see you next time. I'm Perry Carpenter. And I'm Mason Amadeus. And this is Digital Folklore. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.